This is Product by Design, a podcast by Prodigy, where we explore technology, artificial intelligence, user experience, product management, and the philosophy of building products and companies. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Product by Design. I am Kyle, and this week we have another awesome guest with us, Ahmed Reza. Uh, welcome to the show, Ahmed. Thanks so much for having me, Kyle. It's wonderful to be here. Awesome. I am, I'm very, very excited to talk to you. Let me give uh, our listeners a brief background of, of you and what you're working on, and then you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. But Ahmed is a tech entrepreneur uh, with a story that reads like a blockbuster movie, which we're going to have to get into. He started as a child actor in Bangladesh and then uh, became a Milken Scholar at Cornell University, worked as an engineer at NASA, and then found his way into entrepreneurship with his current company, Yobi, uh, among uh, many other things, no doubt. But why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you're working on? Certainly. I am uh, currently the founder and CEO of Yobi and an AI geek uh, for quite a while. I actually got started uh, back at Cornell, the DARPA Grand Challenge, which uh, led to the self-driving cars of today. And uh, if you if you want to know about the blockbuster movie part, that it's true. Like I was uh, I was a child star in Bangladesh, immigrated to the U.S., and uh, pretty much ended up on the streets, almost homeless. Um, I, I had dropped out of school for a little while due to poverty. Got very lucky. Uh, there's no motivator like being extremely broke. <laughs> Um, uh, and being on the fringes of society, but that actually did give me a very different view on the world and it helped shape my worldview down the road. Uh, also probably where a lot of the drive comes from, because once you kind of hit rock bottom, uh, you, you never want to go back there again. That's a crazy, crazy background, but also really exciting to see kind of, you know, where you started, where you are now. Before we jump into some of the other questions, what, what was it like being a, a child star in, in Bangladesh? Like what, I don't even know to, where to begin. Like, what is that like? It was, it was very interesting um, to say the least. Of course, you, uh, as a kid, it was, you know, acting isn't, um, isn't really hard. Like it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Like you see it on TV and then you're like, you're in there. I wasn't super uh, worried about perception. Um and I definitely noticed when people started noticing me outside and, you know, I'd get stuff for free and uh, uh, you get a, a lot of the perks. And I think I got a little spoiled by it, to be honest with you. You know, uh, suddenly you'd go to a party and be the life of the party. I've no, I was never a big enough star where uh, I was tired of it, but it was, it was definitely interesting. But it skewed enough of my worldview so when I came to America and nobody knew who the heck I was, I was on the streets selling books and whatever in New York City. And I was like, wait, wait, I don't deserve this. You know, uh, don't they know who I am? And then I realized, like, nobody really deserves anything. And, you know, life can happen to you at any any time. And you just got to figure things out, you know, think on your feet and uh, l- learn to survive and adapt. I, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, your background, kind of what brought you to, to where you are now. But before we dive into that, maybe you can tell us a little bit about, you know, what are the things that you like to do outside of the office? Oh boy. Um, I'm, I'm a little weird in that I've never really been into sports. I've always been a geek. Even as a child, I was a geek. I was, uh, in my free time, I was always in Legos. Um, and that's the one thing, uh, that is, is weird is, I try to limit how I act when I play Legos with my kids so that the inner child doesn't take over and hog all the Legos. <laughs> Cause till now, I think, uh, if, if you gave me the option of doing things like playing video games or playing Legos, I'm careful on both of those. Cause I can get lost. Um, I guess video games would be video games would be pretty close to what I do outside of work. But, uh, most of the times I'm just so fascinated with what I get to do. Uh, even in my time off, I'm, I'm reading up, I'm learning, and uh, I, I can't help myself. Friends have said that it is very annoying to be around a person like me who's, who's always talking about this one thing. You know, one of my friends recently was like, dude, you don't have to talk about AI so much. Like, you know, you're not at work. And it just hit me out of left field. Like, uh, no, dude, I, I don't do this because of work. Like, this is just me. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I absolutely understand it and, and love that. So I definitely do want to talk more about uh, AI and more of some of the things that uh, you've been working on in your journey into it. Um, and maybe you can kind of delve into that a little bit more. You know, what uh, brought you into both your your current role, but also maybe some of the background, you know, obviously went from a, a very unrelated industry into, you know, came to the United States. Um, you know, what got you into a, a lot of the things that you're doing now? Like I said, you know, I've always been a geek, even as a child, you know, I looked at the Einstein and other scientists. I, I used to obsess over them. I remember designing like spaceships. And after the first time I got on an airplane, I remember, uh, I think I was 10 years old. Uh, actually, no, I was younger. I was seven years old and I drew an airplane that had hydraulic seats so you wouldn't feel turbulence. I was like, why don't they install these in all, all airplanes? <laughs> right. Um, so my mind had always been working uh, overactive, building things with Legos. So m my first career uh, in entertainment uh, to me was amusing because uh, I, I was fascinated by the equipment in the studio. Uh, which eventually actually led to my very first like decent job in New York City. So uh, when I came to New York City and I was uh, uh, I didn't have a degree, I was still very young. I was like 15, 16 years old. I got a job as an editor at a TV station. And one of the reasons for that is because uh, even when I was at, you know, at a recording or something, I paid so much attention to the editing equipment, to, <laughs> to the cameras, you know, like right now I can't help but notice all the cool stuff in your background, like the 3D printer, right? <laughs> I cannot help myself. So I've always been a geek. Um, so when I went to school at Cornell, I, I was very fortunate to get a full scholarship there. I, it was just like, to me, it was just this big giant candy shop. Like you have access to a particle accelerator for crying out loud. Like to me, that's still one of the, you know, one of the top things in my life is like, Hey, uh, one of the things I had to do was take a infrared detector and bombard it with alpha rays at a and particle accelerator that we just happen to have laying around. Right. Um, and figure out how alpha rays affected this detector. Uh, which became my uh, my crowning achievement on the Spitzer Space Telescope project, uh, which was my first professional job as an engineer, figuring out how cosmic rays affect uh, the infrared detectors, and you know subtracting that. So I guess tech has always been fascinating. Um, I, I was going to join the SAE team at Cornell, which is, does the racing, but I was just way too fat. I remember walking down the quad we're like, do I get to drive the car? They're like, no, you're way too fat. So I went down and I joined the next team, which was the, you know, self-driving cars team, which was like the geekier, not as cool group of engineers. Uh, I'm sure to people outside of engineering, they're like, you're both geeks. Uh, but this was like the more nerdy computer geeks who are like, what can we do with a car? And that's, I've kind of always stumbled into these things, uh, mainly because uh, I can't believe I'd get to do this and get paid. And this has kind of been my, this has kind of been my focus since very early on in life. And uh, the fact that I got to go into engineering was, I felt like was a really great blessing. And uh, I, I chose jobs a lot of times based on the challenges that they, they, they presented as, as opposed to necessarily the compensation. Uh, that's how I ended up uh, after the NASA job going, uh, working uh, with the DOD, working on AI for unmanned aerial vehicles uh, in, in STRICOM in the simulation industry, which is in Florida. Uh, also, it helped that Florida had lots of sun and Ithaca did not. <laughs> uh, speaking of right now, New York is going through uh, the, the fires, right? And they have a lot of smoke like we had. So you never appreciate sun like when it goes missing and you never appreciate all like the beautiful nature that you get until you don't have it. So that was a big part of my decision in going to Florida because I flew down during a rocket launch and I'm like, this is like geek heaven. You, you get to watch rockets take off. You get to code on your laptop in the beach with other geeks. Uh, and the next, uh, the next almost decade I spent in Florida uh, in different startups after that. Uh, where we were either ha reverse engineering cars, ECUs, uh, or 
uh, solving travel. So if you've ever flown uh, Delta Airlines or many of the airlines, I was a part of a uh, startup called Kinetics that did the self-check-in systems. Uh, so I remember uh, programming uh, the part that gives you the little 2D barcode that checks you in now on your mobile phone. So there's just this great sense of accomplishment that you get uh, as a builder, as a programmer. And in your case, you're talking about product, right? Like when you start thinking about building these solutions for the world. Um, so I just got super lucky to be in these startups that did really well. And I ended up doing really well myself um, and eventually launching my own startup, which utilized artificial intelligence to figure out marketing for dentists. Um, and that right there is like a really... <laughs> crazy story. Well, and, and I definitely want to touch on that because I think that that will be a really, really interesting part um, of the conversation. Um, if we if we zoom out a little bit right now, you, you touched on this, you know, AI being such a hot topic right now and everybody thinking about how does it impact us? How, how do we incorporate it? Like what specifically do we do? What is your take as, as you've kind of gone through, I mean, you're talking about the self, you know, being part of the team for self-driving cars, which is, you know, taking a lot of these concepts and really complicated artificial intelligence in order to, to create these self-driving cars and, and other automations that we have. All of that said, you know, what's kind of your take of how things have been, uh, how things were going then, how things are going now. And, uh, you know, what's kind of the general state of AI from your perspective? I'm going to zoom out a bit more and talk more philosophically about the impact of geeks on the world. <laughs> so growing up as a Star Trek geek, um, I see more and more Star Trek just coming to life. Uh, Self-driving cars, right? All of the uh, like flying cars. Uh, we're going to have flying cars at some point, I guess, when it's more practical. Uh, but self-driving cars and trying to build commander data in my head that's sort of what i've been trying to do is like have a computer that's ubiquitous uh that's uh, always in the background that is augmenting our ability and creating a world that has uh, uh creating a world of plenty where people can just focus on achieving excellence you know really learning uh learning improving themselves uh building things exploring uh which is kind of the star trek universe so speaking of self-driving, one of the things that we're doing at Yobi is, uh, which is my current startup, uh, it's also in communications. But from my previous startup, I realized there was a ton of information locked up in your communications and your business communication specifically. And I thought to myself, what if you could kind of have autopilot for that? What if the AI could handle a lot of your business communications for you? And that's sort of what we're doing right now. And that overall is the trend that you see with technology in general is how does technology supercharge humans? The same kind of technological innovations that allowed us to not starve today. Uh, when I was growing up, I remember there was a, a drought in Bangladesh and people starved to death. It was one of the most horrific memories I have as a child. Uh, and everybody was worried that we wouldn't be able to sustain a global population the size that we have today. But thanks to, you know, food science geeks and uh, other geeks and in industrial engineering that may not be so celebrated, they, they do a lot of the hard work and they brought these innovations that have allowed the world to thrive. Uh, during COVID, you saw one such example, right? We, we just geared up really quick and got vaccines out. This was, you know, this was a crazy, crazy global pandemic and uh, in Sure, things could have gone better, but I think overall, like it, it was quite fascinating how it was handled. And that's what I hope is going to continue in the future is as we build technology, it augments humans. It allows us to live more meaningful lives, more productive lives and happier lives. I think that that's absolutely great and absolutely agree with you that the <laughs> one on the the geeks taking a lot of these things and we say that very, very lovingly and, and improving the lives of so many by being so focused on these different areas and really bringing new things to fruition there. And I also love the idea of really supercharging the people 
through technology. And, and I think that that is definitely what I'm seeing and, and what many of us are seeing is how will all of these innovations really allow for uh, more, whether it's more human, actual human interaction, or whether it's for being able to do uh, more things or different things or more creative things than we've ever been able to do before. I think it's just, there's so much potential there. And, and as you kind of survey the, the landscape specifically within AI, but you know, technology in general, what, what are some of the things that you see as the most promising applications or most exciting things or, or things that you would like to potentially see as we move forward? Of course, I'm not an, a disinterested party here because I'm building <laughs> synthetic agents, but I think synthetic agents are a transfer, transformational technology that we haven't all really quite come to grips with yet, or even really, most people I don't think really understand what's what's afoot. The fact that you can converse with a machine, like the the miraculous nature of, Ch- of chat gpt isn't just that you can uh, you know you can write poems and so that's really cool and all right but what's really cool for me is the moment you're able to interact with a machine the same way that you would interact with a person uh, so, uh, such that the machine meets you where you are like the iphone made everybody a bit of a technologist right even my mom's on facebook messenger because of the iphone democratizing technology by making it easier, by making the user interfaces easier, has a transformational effect on humanity. There are revolutions that wouldn't have happened without the iPhone, if you think about it. Uh, The world would not be how it is today. Like we wouldn't be having this podcast, right? (laughs) Without the kind of technology that we have right now. Uh, So if you think about how much lower the barrier to entry is, now that I can speak to a computer, right? in a very natural way, bringing the learning curve down significantly. And I can speak to the computer using any language. That is another big, huge deal that I don't think there's enough discussion about. Uh, Because we don't see how big of a barrier it is for somebody who doesn't speak English to access knowledge, to access innovation, to participate in the global markets. Um, and when I say global markets, I mean being able to sell something online, like, like the creator economy. Uh, with TikTok, we started realizing you can have AI as a user interface. Like on TikTok, there isn't a whole lot of writing and stuff. You just swipe up, you look, and you you train it with your attention. It It's a very attentive app and it's gone viral. And it's uh, one of the most uh, successful people on TikTok is somebody who makes videos without any words. It's universal. Uh, now, if you have a AI that understands what you're saying, whatever your native language is, it understands the context also, you could technically now build things. Uh, you can unlock incredible amounts of knowledge, experience, and wisdom that hasn't been part of the conversation so far. We've had a little bit of an echo chamber because you know maybe we're all on Twitter or maybe we're all on our own little bubble, right? So opening that bubble up, you know, democratizing uh, this technology, I think will have changes in the world and unlock value like we haven't imagined before. And also every time we do, every time we make uh, technology more accessible and help unlock human potential, the result of that is more for everyone, right? There's more, uh, there's more economic activity. Uh, there's more content, fun, and all that. But there's, uh, it doesn't necessarily displace. And um, there, there's changes that happen. But overall, I would say it's a net positive for humanity and for the world. I think you've touched on so many of the exciting parts of it that, you know, we'll hopefully see really unlocking the potential, kind of like you said, as we kind of look at the flip side of that coin, though, you know, there's obviously a lot of ethical implications and concerns. I mean, we talked about, and you talked about how AI as an interface and really bringing more things to, to, to more people than we, we've ever been able to do before. Um, but on the other side of that coin, you know, there's a lot of uh, potential downsides or potential risks that we have to be thinking about and mitigating as, as we really uh, explore a lot of the new possibilities here. What I guess for you, what are some of those that are, are top of mind 
And how do we go about addressing you know, some of those potential risks or ethical concerns? The most interesting part of the whole AI revolution to me has been it's more of a reflection on us and our state as humans than it is so much about the technology. Sure, the technology is cool. Self-driving cars are cool. But, you know, your, your Tesla is not going to go on a drive by itself. It's not going to go on a le- leisurely drive, right? Uh, the AI, I think, presents a very similar problem. The problem is distinctly human. Uh, what do people do once you give them access to this technology? And what are the good things that can happen? What are the bad things that can happen? When I talk to my fellow geeks and my fellow technologists, uh, almost all of whom are very enthusiastic, you know, very positive, they want to contribute something positive to the world. Maybe we underestimated some of the impacts, but now hindsight being 2020, we can see that if you're just optimizing for attention, somebody saying inflammatory things is much more likely to get attention than somebody not saying inflammatory things. Uh, So social media platforms weren't built uh, to promote uh, hatred and uh, all these other things that it inadvertently ended up doing. Uh, And that's where as technologists, we have to be very thoughtful. Uh, philosophy matters now. How people think, sociology matters now. Um, my current advice to folks becoming entrepreneurs is like, you know, read anthropology, history, philosophy, because those things will matter, right? Uh, we've kind of separated STEM from liberal arts, which might come back to bite us because uh, I was fortunate enough to, you know, sit in on some uh, some of these other classes in college. Uh, even ones I wasn't registered for. Uh, And in retrospect, I look at those things being incredibly valuable in my life as an entrepreneur today. And I've continued my study of that. Because if you're building products, right, this is what's really interesting about just pure engineering. Pure engineering can be theoretical, right? Oh, how do neural nets work? And, you know, how do transformers work? Very cool, right? Uh, But then the moment you go, oh, you're building AI for unmanned aerial vehicles, well, that has some serious implications on the people uh, on the other end of it. Like, what is it doing? Is it surveilling? Is it uh, is it saving lives or is it doing the opposite? Right. And there's ethical implications of the technology that you build, whether whether it's really advanced technology or not. Just understand the impact of whatever it is that you're building. So my appeal uh, is actually to the humans still. Uh, and I think this is this has been true in other disciplines as well, in physics and chemistry, right? Um, you can do horrible things with physics and you can do horrible things with chemistry and you can do horrible things with biology. Uh, and I'm a big believer in the, the fact that people are generally good and well-intentioned. Uh, and I, I present as proof like our past where we could have been in a much more dystopian future. Given the pace of technological change and the and the kinds of technologies that have become available over the, the last few hundred years, uh, but it's actually because uh, a lot of scientists will not uh, will not go into fields that are ethically reprehensible. Um, that we see a world where we use technology to our net benefit. Now, I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> Right. It's like, of course, uh, there's black swan events. Uh, Nassim Talib talks about black swan, right? Just because the past has been a certain way doesn't mean the future is going to be that way. So, uh, so I don't want to under, you know, be too Pollyanna-ish about it. Uh, the technology we're building right now, the stuff around AI is very real. The superpowers it gives you is very real. Um, and we need to carefully think about how it gets rolled out, how we work with governments, um, I've personally been actively stepping up uh, to be an advisor. Um, and I think a lot of others have been actively doing that as well, understanding uh, the implications of what we're building. You've touched on so many amazing points, and, and I could not agree more that, you know, going, going back to some of the philosophical uh, implications that really understanding those. And I mean, you kind of touched on the, you know, some of the extremes where, you know, we, we can train, uh, AI or we can train some of these models, uh, in certain ways. And then it ends up really reflecting us, the the humans. And we get to see, you know, maybe some of our potential, whether it's potential biases that, 
we didn't know about or ways that, you know, we've trained on, on the data and those start to surface, you know, all of those things, all the way up to the, you know, kind of like you mentioned, you know, the potential applications in uh, warfare or other areas that become very, very serious. And like you said, there's the potential for so much good and so much risk in all of these different fields. Um, you know, when, when you look back at, at physics and I think of kind of Oppenheimer as, you know, one of, one of these people who, who oversaw, you know, the, the Manhattan project in the United States uh, during world war two and created some massive, potentially destructive things and really, you know, taking stock of that, like there's so much potential for good, but also so much potential for things that could go wrong. And, and how do we think about that? And how do we learn both from the history and from our, ourselves as humans in order to not take ourselves maybe to the brink, but to use these things in a positive way for humanity? I, I think that that's just, it's so important and it's becoming more and more real because it's moving so rapidly in so many different areas. Uh, so I, th I think that's great. As an entrepreneur, I think I have like a specific viewpoint on this. Uh, and not just as an entrepreneur, also just having lived my life as an immigrant, going through the ups and the downs and dealing with uncertainty, uh, I would caution against the anxiety that comes from it. Uh, if you become a creator or you go work for yourself, the first thing you face is fear of the unknown. And that fear, like we are biologically wired to be very, very, you know, uh, conscious of threats that, that we may be facing. But sometimes we tend to overblow it, uh, overblow it in the sense that we overestimate the threats and don't necessarily make rational decisions. I think right now it's a really important for us to not give into the fear, understand what we have. Like if there's a fire, uh, yes, it is very, very scary. Um, I've had to deal with a couple of fires myself, and I was fortunate to have actually been trained by professionals on how to act during an emergency. Like during an emergency, the first thing you need to do is calm down, right? Try to assess the situation and do the things as rationally as possible. You know, identify people, you know, like you call 911, you know, what kind of a fire is it? Like try to be as analytical as possible. Um, I think that that's important now for cooler heads to prevail uh, and to understand this is where we are. Like you brought up Oppenheimer um, and as scary as that scenario is, I think that that has some precedent because at the time that Oppenheimer uh, was doing his thing, uh, right? The technology that shall be unnamed. Uh, yeah. the, what were the choices? The choices were either he built it or an alternate future that you see on Amazon that you really don't want to live in, right? Um, and uh, if those are the choices, uh, you know, ideally we'd be living in a war-free world. And that's what I think almost every geek dreams of. And I think it's not just geeks. I think everybody universally, as we've gotten more connected to each other using technology, we realize that our dreams are very similar all around the world, right? Um, my biggest dream about the American dream. Uh, I'm a big supporter of the Milken Center for the advancing the American dream is that I think the American dream is like everybody's dream. Everybody wants to live, uh, live happily, have prosperity, do things that are meaningful, you know, provide safety for their families, for others around them. Uh, nobody really wakes up unless they're just in a bad place. Nobody really wakes up just wishing harm on other people. And that's really what we have to mitigate for is when certain humans are not necessarily in their best state, let's not give them access to the most powerful technologies in the world, <laughs> or at least let's mitigate that if somebody is acting irrationally, uh, you know, uh, let's, let's make sure there are checks and balances in place, which arguably is the reason that you and I are having this conversation today. Uh, I'm sure you're aware during the Cold War, there was a false alarm. And thanks to this amazing uh, Russian military officer who decided to not launch nukes, <laughs> thought about it, what was rational and cool and said, OK, if if this is wrong, if this is a false alarm, I'm going to send the world into, you know, uh, nuclear warfare. Uh, there I named it. Damn it. <laughs> But uh, thanks to that person's thinking and cool and rational thinking and also having fail safes in place, um, 
we are in the world that we are in today. And my, uh, we shouldn't forget history. We should learn from history. And we should understand that as we build these technologies, uh, if they're very powerful, we should understand how they get deployed. If we're deploying a platform like YouTube or if we're deploying algorithms like on Facebook or on Twitter, you know, what kind of voices is it amplifying? Sure, you want to maximize ad revenue, but not at, not at all costs. Uh, couldn't agree more. Um, so <clears throat> we, we've talked a little bit and, and you've touched on some of the things that you're doing specifically at Yobi, at your at the company that you founded and are leading. Maybe tell us a little bit more about that. You know, why, what, what are you focusing on and you know, what are some of the specific applications of that uh, that you're working on? Certainly. Uh, I'll tell you about my previous startup, which was uh, founded kind of accidentally a friend of mine he was uh who's a dentist uh he was spending like three thousand dollars a month on yellow pages and i wanted to prove to him that you know he was a horrible human being for supporting this massive wastage of paper <laughs> so i rolled my own call tracking system recorded all of his inbound calls that were coming from yellow pages and from his other marketing he was actually spending six thousand dollars a month on his marketing um and after three months thousand plus phone calls only 56 of them were from yellow pages we recorded the calls that went to his receptionist and transcribed uh, at the time i just classified them uh, manually <laughs> and showed him that he had paid ten thousand dollars for just a handful of patients where the roi was very negative and the other ones you know i inadvertently helped him figure out customer acquisition cost and he turns around and he goes wonderful you're going to be my marketer uh, to which I was very offended. And it's like, I build space flight systems and I do like crazy advanced AI. And you're, you're telling me I'm going to be your marketer. And he's like, I'll, I'll give you all, I'll give you whatever money I'm spending on marketing. So I try to channel my inner entrepreneur and take that money, build, take the system, hire somebody on Upwork, right? Use technology again, right? Hire somebody on Upwork. And that was my first stumbling into using artificial intelligence, using machine learning uh, to do something helpful for a business. Uh, my friend is not just an entrepreneur, a great person, great uh, helper in the community, a community leader. And that worked for him. That worked so well. He started bragging to other dentists about you know, how I was his marketer. I was at a Thanksgiving party. Two other dentists come up to me and they're like, hey, I heard you're so-and-so's marketer. I was like, how dare he? It's like, we'll pay you the same amount. And before you know it, it's like a multi-million dollar business, right? So it really just stumbled on this thing. Um, ended up selling that company uh, in 2018. But the impression that was left on me is this was very simple machine learning, right? Transcribing calls, classifying them, and figuring out customer acquisition cost, right? In tech, we talk about that like really ABCs, right? But here's this entire segment of business that doesn't use it. And uh, the impact on the dental practice on average was an extra $400,000 a year in revenue. Wow. And that's just a few calls, not all of their calls, just a few of the calls. And optimizing a little bit of the marketing. We, we built some other cool stuff, too, like popping up a little uh, dialog box on the computer when a call came in because we, we knew that this was a prospect that was calling you. So you'd make sure to answer that phone call. So I sat back and I thought, you know, this is uh, 2018, uh, the Transformers paper came out, like attention is all you need. There's some amazing advances happening in AI. And I thought, man, if I could build anything, I'm at a good point in my life, um, became an investor for a little while, um, started getting to understand business better. And I thought to myself, what's a worthwhile problem solving, right? And I wanted to build a brain in the cloud. A brain in the cloud, this AI assistant that would just help you run your business better than you could. Mainly because technically the computer has superpowers, right? Like your car goes way faster than you can run. Uh, and computers and calculators are way faster than the human brain. We don't take offense to that. You know, we don't say, hey, let me dig a ditch with a shovel when you have a backhoe that you can, that you can use, right? So how come this technology isn't more widely adopted? Uh, and the story of AI, unfortunately, is these hype cycles. Uh, I think you remember when Watson was winning Jeopardy and everybody was like, oh, my God, it's going to take over the world. It understands everything. And 
uh, as a practitioner, I was like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it's cool. It's really cool. But no, it's not all of those things that the marketing hype is making out to be. But unfortunately, after the hype, when the bust happens, people just throw the baby away with the bathwater which incidentally was opportunity for me because I was working, I continued working in AI because the value was very real. The value is still very real. So we actually built out Yobi, which brings together all of your communications in one simple app because business communications is pretty antiquated, like how you and I would communicate over Twitter, over text message, WhatsApp, right? That's simply not how you communicate with modern businesses today. Maybe the large enterprises, right? and also for your average dentist or for, for the average business uh, person, even in the enterprise, these contact center solutions and these other automation solutions are really hard. So we thought if we could bring this brain in the cloud that can gather all of your Salesforce data, all of your communications data, I bet it could handle communications better. It could help you close more deals. And it can even handle some of the internal management better. Uh, for example, it can notify somebody um, like a manager about a customer who's upset immediately when that happens. It doesn't have to wait till after someone listens to that phone call. So we started working on that. And the biggest problem we were facing a year ago from now, actually a little over a year ago from now, we were using uh, uh, GPT uh, at the time to build a conversational engine to our customers within the Yobi app, which by the way, is a very simple app, works on every platform. You know, We wanted to make the user experience very, very easy. And even the complicated bits, like you need to set up a PBX system or you need to hook up your HubSpot and your Salesforce. We try to make it as easy as possible so that the human being could do what they do. They could communicate, the system would just passively learn. And then once the system learned enough, it could actually take over conversations. So some of the things that my Yobi does right now is I have a synthetic clone of me, which sounds very much like me. And uh, if you uncannily like me, it can actually even be on a podcast um, with <laughs> this is the real me just, just before you ask. <laughs> uh, but the synthetic me is able to actually have 700 simultaneous phone calls, right? Like as a business person, you've, I wish I could clone myself. It's like, maybe I could. Well, I have all of my communications data. Uh, I have all of the you know, fundamentals of how I would talk to uh, a customer. What if I could take the language models that are available now, take traditional machine learnings and build an engine that can work as a great SDR and read our own dog food. So we dog fooded it out for Yobi. We have over 16,000 customers, which... Who, who gets served by only two humans. Uh, and we, we rank very high in our customer satisfaction score because most of the times when customers reach out to Yobi for customer service, you know, they, they just want really good service. They want yeah. prompt, you know, attentive service. Um, and where we're going uh, is a world where people will start using synthetic agents more and more and more to do work. Uh, so that they can spend time doing more meaningful things. So if I'm not busy just, you know, booking appointments, I can spend time being in deeper conversations, which the AI won't handle. Or I can augment, I can work with my AI synthetic Mm -hmm. agents on achieving the larger goals um, that I want to achieve in life. That's super, super fascinating. Do you see it getting to the point of, you know, really running, you know, AI agents in many of these circumstances where it's not just the kind of like you're talking about, you know, where we're at today, but you know, the potential of having these types of meetings, not maybe not necessarily a podcast, but potentially, I mean, who knows where it has, has been trained on all of the, either the questions or, you know, the answers and the way you respond to them and really having almost a digital version of ourselves that can then go out and uh, significantly augment the amount that we're able to do professionally or personally. Uh, I think it's an inevitable um, and it's better to show than to tell. So here's my synthetic Asian. I'll just have it say hi to you in the audience. Hi, I'm Ahmed Yobi. A synth- <laughs> so <laughs> that sounds 
pretty close to me and uh, doesn't have the pauses or the ums like I do. Um, and I think it's inevitable that we're going to have this technology. Actually, not going to. We have this technology available yeah. today. And the the people who are quick on their feet, they are going to adopt this faster than uh, faster than others. Um, and they'll have a crazy unfair advantage compared to those without the AI. Um, and it changes the nature of work, just like the Industrial Revolution kind of reformed the world. That is sort of what I expect. And if the first step is like, hey, here's this really cool AI. And I think the next step is having these synthetic agents. Uh, folks also talk about AGI. But when you first start re- working with synthetic agents, like my synthetic clones already, uh, a superhuman version of me, uh, in the professional sense, the very narrow, limited sense, right? Mm-hmm. And if that's possible already, why wouldn't you take advantage of that to augment your business, improve your customer experience, right? Make more money, right? Generate more yeah. cash. Sorry, it's a generative yeah. AI joke. <laughs> where, I guess, where do you see it going beyond that? I mean, obviously, like there's kind of the narrow scopes or areas. Do you see it becoming incredibly generalized as well? Like where it's, you know, having the potential to kind of move across uh, multiple aspects of your professional life or your your life in general, where, you know, having these Yobis or digital agents uh, move from, you know, doing some of these work meetings to, uh, you know, having a conversation with uh, the doctor's office to all of, you know, kind of going across multiple different areas of expertise. Oh, absolutely. Uh, including like being your companion almost. Um, so my UOB stops me from sending text messages that will be professionally damaging, right? <laughs> Can help you reformulate that text and say, why don't you say something nicer? Are you doing okay? Because the computer can be ever vigilant, right? Uh, and can really look over you, look over your interests and optimize and be aligned with you. Um, I'm not sure exactly who's going to win or what the future is going to look like, but I think a lot of technology companies have already seen this coming. You see this with Apple Siri, you see this with Google's assistants, Alexa and others, right? They started popping out in little ways, but imagine a future where this is not the computer. Like this is a transitional technology. If you think about all of computing as like transitional to get to a point where computer, the user experience is so seamless that you finally start talking to your imaginary friend and except your imaginary friend has very real powers to get your uh, Uber or to get your self-driving car over, right? That That is the ultimate dream, I think, is where as humans, we've gotten to a point where we can really lean into just being human because we are these ephemeral, uh, you know, uh, biological, electrochemical beings um, where we want to live meaningful lives. And ultimately, if you look at all the technology we've been building, that's kind of the promise is can these things help uh, alleviate some of the minutia so we can live more meaningful lives and be happy? Uh, that's that's the positive outcome of it. Of course, you can imagine how this can also be uh, uh, construed in negative ways. But I think uh, the main the main motivators behind it not being positive is also human, unfortunately. If people... Uh, who don't have vision or people who are a little bit more short-sighted or don't share those views of the world uh, want to commandeer the technology just to just their benefit and nobody else's uh, or have zero sum thinking, which I think is, uh, is not a great way, not a great mental model in a world where there's plenty. I, I think that's absolutely fascinating um, in so many regards. As you kind of go beyond uh this or you know kind of you know what you're what you're focused on and you know see some of the potential other use cases both uh within the uh, both professional and personal and digital agent like you know what's kind of your take over the next couple of years like you know where where does this broadly go like what what are we going to start seeing that you know maybe we have only started to imagine or, or maybe haven't even imagined yet? Well, broadly, again, I'm a very optimistic person. <laughs> I'm an eternal optimist, right? Uh, broadly, I hope it gets to a point and I'm working towards helping to build a future where 
it enables us, right? I wish I had more time. I wish I was better tomorrow than I am today. So I can see where an AI coach would help. And if you wanted to optimize, if I wanted to optimize my own life, I would want more meaningful interactions, business or otherwise. I would want to contribute in more positive ways. Uh, if you had a little bit of time to really think about those things, you'd realize, you know, uh, an ideal day is not one that is over-optimized for any one thing, but one where I have some time with family and friends, where I have time with uh, just improving myself on whatever aspects I need to improve. Like in my case, exercise uh, and maybe play with Legos, but not all the times or maybe play some video games and know when to stop. Right. So these are all things that I think we can improve. And if we had a, uh, a companion of sorts that is disinterested and somewhat stoic. Right. And there and the alignment that uh, a lot of AI folks talk about is if it was aligned to humanity's goals to help us live and be better. Um, uh, and not be like, oh, eliminate all humans. That's the, right. That's like a dumb, that's like a dumb solution. And we've kind of experienced a little bit of that, to be honest with you, right? We are all victims of a little bit of dumb AI. So it's like, hey, optimize for attention. Man, that, that was probably not a good idea, right? So now having learned from that, that optimize for attention could also mean like spreading misinformation, disinformation, and letting nefarious forces win. Even though they make up a very small percentage of the actual population, they can spread polarization and, you know, polarize entire societies, right? With relatively easy, like simple AI algorithms that just optimize for attention, right? Uh, so if you learn from that and understand and take a more nuanced approach to this next gener generation of AI, just far more sophisticated uh, to optimize and not take extreme, uh, extreme positions, I think uh, we are likely to get to a world where everybody in, in aggregate is happier and better. If we don't heed the warnings of the very recent past um, and we just go, hey, how does this just generate the most money? I, I did make the joke about generating cash, but generate more money without thought to what does that mean? What, you know, what are the implications of that? And what's, what's the right thing to do after it does that? If we don't think through those and if we don't have solutions for those and figure that out as we roll it out, yeah, we can uh, we can certainly have a dystopian dystopian future, one that we don't want. I don't think anybody really wants that future. But the future that we can have is one that can be quite amazing, quite uh, quite magical to live in. Yeah, you've touched on some amazing points, and I completely agree. Where we have this align the unalignment problem with with AI, and it it it's one of those things where you can optimize for certain things, kind of like you said whether it's money or attention or in kind of the famous example, you know, making paper clips and get, if we're not aligned in, you know, what, here's our outcome and here's our intentions of the outcome. It's not to, you know, get attention at all costs. It's, you know, to hold the right amount of attention. It's not to make the most amount of paper clips and ultimately leading in the destruction of humanity in order to make paper clips. But understanding our intentions along with the outcome that we want to achieve and, and aligning those things so that it's kind of like you're saying it it's this blend of the the technology augmenting humans and working together rather than you know pulling in the wrong direction or getting the outcomes but getting them in such a way that the cost is just massive whether it's uh you know everybody's attention is is on something for all the wrong reasons but it's, it's maximized that reward for example so i think those are such important things to be thinking about kind of like you touched on uh, as we continue rapidly down this path of uh ai and you know potentially eventually agi and and what that's going to look like absolutely and i think uh, a lot of the a lot of friends who are who have been in the ai space i'm fortunate to know um, quite a few people in the space who are suddenly now hot and very in, in demand. We all find it a little odd. Um, <laughs> there, there's a lot of pressure on AI practitioners like uh, to, to be careful with the technology, right? Everybody's talking about it and, uh, and not just talking about it. I think 
the kind of people that go into uh, go into this, uh, they're, they're smart folks. Uh, and fortunately for all of us, they're they're human and they're good human beings that think about their legacies also. So to my fellow AI AI folks, you know, best of luck. Hang in there. <laughs> Don't forget your own humanness and understand that understanding that nuance in humanity, right? Uh, we ourselves are not, you know, maximization algorithms. We are these nuanced beings that feel different things at different times of day, if we've had coffee or not. Um, understanding that nuance and actually having the technology also be a little, uh, little nuanced that way and the solutions being thought through and being uh, changeable, uh, I think is the right right way forward for all of us. Absolutely. Agree. You know, as, as you kind of look back over a number of the things that uh, you've done and worked on, is there anything that you know now as both an entrepreneur and AI practitioner or, or just in general that you wish you could have known earlier in your career? Boy, there are just so many things um, that you learn uh, as you age. Uh, I think the biggest the biggest lesson is um, not being too hyper focused. Um, stepping back and looking at the bigger picture. Uh, metacognition is a big word, but understanding metacognition was probably one of the most instrumental forces in my life. And I try to tell this to my very scientifically inclined friends who, who dismiss, uh, you know, things like that sometimes out of habit, like, oh, that sounds like quackery. But metacognition is about thinking about thinking, right? Being able to step back and just like you would look at a language model and say, this is not the output that I expect. I think I need to fine tune this or I need to uh, improve this in some way. Right? I need to iterate on this. We need that as human beings too, except I, I wish we were as easy as language models to train, but we need to step back and look at errors in our thinking uh, where we have defaults. Things like, well, how do we define success? Oftentimes, one of the most important things in life, like defining success, we simply just accept from marketing or from cartoons we've watched as children, or in my case, rap songs, because that's where I grew up in. And to me, for the longest time, I defined success as having spinning rims on your Rolls Royce. Uh, I can tell you definitively, that is not success. Uh, and taking some time away, thinking through, why do I think that, you know, uh, fancy cars are the, are the path to success or that I should be happy now that I have all of this. And I've spent all this time pushing hard to have this, right? Um, and then once you get there going, this doesn't feel very fulfilling. That's one way to find out, right? One way is to fail and find out. Another way to do is like, just sit back and go, might I regret this in the future? Is this really success or can I, can I preview this? Can I ask somebody wiser, maybe somebody older, or can I go consult books and, uh, you know, wise men uh, of uh, previous ages, as to how they dealt with their lives, um, that I found to be incredibly helpful. Once, once I failed enough times and fell enough times, uh, I was like, "Hey, it's a lot easier to learn, you know, without falling down. That falling down hurts, or that you know, without getting burned, that the fire burns." Is once you've learned that a few times, you know, you step back and go, oh, "That feels hot. Is that fire?" Doing doing that, I wish I knew this, like thinking about thinking and looking at my own thinking and my own mental models, challenging some of those mental models, and then building on it so that I could live more meaningfully and more objectively ask myself, now that I don't think spinning rounds on a Rolls Royce is success, do I feel happier? Does this feel better? <laughs> right? I can check in a few months. Uh, you know, my diet was a big thing where I, I put horrible things into my body as a young engineer, like insane amounts of caffeine and pizza until I ended up in the hospital with the uh, GERD. GERD sucks. Objectively sucks for everybody. <laughs> Nobody enjoys it. Uh, ulcers suck. But instead of getting ulcers, if you look at it and say, let me try cutting out soda, let me try cutting out sugar. How do I feel? Objectively, how do I feel? Can I measure it? I feel better. Um, and 
that wisdom uh, can could be learned. I wish I had learned that like decades ago. Uh, how important health is, not just for you know living forever, but just uh, feel good, just uh, be good, and you know be productive and uh, be a better dad, be a better friend, right? All of those things matter. So yeah, if I can go back and talk to my younger self, it would be to step back, look at yourself, think about how you're thinking, question the big assumptions um, instead of, you know, obsessing about little decisions, which is what we often end up doing. Um, do I do I wear this dress or that dress, right? Think about the bigger, bigger picture. If you have the big picture in mind, you tend to regret things less. I absolutely love that and couldn't agree more that thinking about your thinking, thinking about the assumptions that you're making and questioning that, you know, questioning the things that you maybe take for granted or take as a given. And you're know, really understanding that is, it's so critical um, at pretty much every point in life or career, but asking those questions and define, I, I was actually having this conversation about defining success recently. And it is, it's a, it's, it's a difficult question. And, but it's such a, an important one because the things that we think early on are quite different than, you know, as it gets later, like success in your mind might be early in your career, you know, like you're saying, having the, the fancy car and the, the fancy title and all of those things. And that may really not be the way that you define success as you, as you come to learn more, or it may be something you have to question to really understand, like, is this what success is for me in this case, or these other assumptions that you make? I, I think that's just so critical and so important. I love it. I wanted to ask too, if you had any advice for anybody either considering getting into a role in AI or starting potentially an AI company or a company in general, what, what would be your advice to somebody thinking about that? I think now is a great time. Um, oftentimes, you know, you hear you hear folks uh, like there's a, a no true Scotsman fallacy, right? It's like, oh, you don't have 20 years of experience in AI. Um, and actually being somebody who has more than that, which just dates me, <laughs> makes me feel old. Uh, the, the reality is the technology changes so fast. The language models, the way they work is very different from anything I dreamed of 10 years ago. Like even I didn't think Transformers were going to be as big of a deal as they are. Like I, I'll be honest, I did not see this coming. This was crazy, right? This is a crazy rate of change. Uh, but if you're getting into it, there aren't... Uh, there aren't people that have 10 years of experience in, uh, in Transformers. And if they are, like, run. Run away from them. <laughs> um, don't call yourself an expert and, you know, don't, don't be a snake, a snake oil salesman. Like, people can make money that way as well. That's not good. You won't be happy with yourself. And that, is, at least in my book, that's not success. But don't be shy. Jump into it. This is a new technology, a new paradigm, understanding it. And what's always been helpful for humans is the ability to learn fast. If you can learn this thing fast and you're a creative person, you can create solutions, join a company that's doing it, you know, join a nonprofit that's doing it if you're financially well off and can afford that, right? Because I think we're going to see economies change here very soon. The way we define success and material outcomes will probably change very soon, <laughs> sooner than you realize, like definitely within your lifetime. Um, so if you can contribute, the things that will matter is, do you feel successful? Are you creative? Do you want to build solutions with these new tools that are available? Uh, there's a lot that you can learn. There's uh, the open source community is amazing, has always been amazing. As a teenager, I remember like being a huge Red Hat fan, uh, huge Linux fan, uh, and that helped usher in the internet and all of these technologies that we use today and the AI of today which will seem rudimentary in probably 10 years, will also usher in the next era. And I can tell you from firsthand lived experience, building those solutions are some of the most, you know, some of the most satisfying, gratifying things in my life I look back at. It doesn't matter the material outcomes, but I look at a boarding pass, a mobile boarding pass, and I'm like, yes, I'm so, I'm so glad I worked on that or uh, worked on the Wi-Fi project for FlyFi. 
So when I'm flying and I and I have to pay the few bucks, I actually do pay the few bucks. I was like, I can't believe I worked out. This is so cool. I wonder if this like debug thing still works, right? Um, it's very rewarding. It's, uh, Steve Jobs said the journey is a reward. Uh, and I think there's a lot of wisdom to that. There, Think about your journey. And I think it's a very exciting time to be alive and to be able to adopt this new technology, understand this new technology. And there's no reason to really feel left behind by it because it's kind of an equalizer. When shifts like this happen, um, you're starting off more in a more equal playing field than you might realize. Definitely agree. Well, Ahmed, this has been an amazing, amazing conversation. I haven't thoroughly enjoyed it and feel like we probably could do part two of this and go into more uh, of some of these areas that we've touched on. Uh, I do have a couple of wrap up questions, but before we do that, where can people find out more about you, uh, more about uh, Yobi or, or the things that you're working on? Uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on most of the social media, and uh, I will reach out and you, you'll you forgive me for that being my synthetic agent. Or better yet, I'll do something really weird. I'll give you a phone number. You can text 667-220-7187. Again, that's 667-220-7187. You're going to talk to my digital synthetic agent, but I get to see the conversations and there are points where I actually jump in because it's a it is a representative of me so i can't i can't like preach this without eating my own dog food uh so i would love to connect with more people as as humanly as is possible uh but even if it's not hopefully i can have at least a little brief discussion about yobi or something interesting with you okay i absolutely love that and I'm, I personally am going to test it out and we'll put the link in the show notes and the number in the show notes so other people can, can test this out as well. Cause I think that it will be really, really a great way to see some of the potential and to start experimenting with it. And yeah, we'll, we'll definitely put those links in the show notes as well. As we, as we kind of wrap up, we like to ask, uh, you know, kind of two questions. Um, are there, are there anything that you have been reading or watching or listening to recently that uh, you'd like to recommend or share? A couple of books, actually. One in the AI space, uh, it's called Life 3.0 by Max Tegmark. It's a great book. Uh, Advanced Morning, it will probably freak you out. <laughs> Initially, when you read it, it's, it's pretty dense. Uh, and the other one is by my mentor, Mike Milken. He wrote a book called Faster Cures. Uh, and to me, that's a very special book, having been his you know, the, the recipient of a lot of his uh, uh, kindness and mentorship uh, and seeing this person uh, over two decades, you know, just looking at how he views his own life and the mission. I think that's a, that's a really interesting way to understand uh, maybe folks that might seem very distant or, you know, he's one of the most successful folks on planet earth, but also a very influential person. Um, so I would recommend faster cures, uh, even though it's not directly related to AI, but I think you can see how, uh, when somebody has success, how do they navigate it themselves? What's the, what's the human side? That's very important. Uh, and it's helped me, uh, understand success and put success in its right context for me, myself. That's great. Yeah, we'll put both of those links in the show notes and I will, I will put them on my reading list as well. I haven't read either of those, so that will be amazing. I can't wait to take a look at those. Um, and finally, are there any products that you may have been using or have used recently that uh, you want to give a shout out to or maybe haven't worked out quite as well? You can you can go on the, the opposite side if you'd, if you'd like. This is this is tough, right? I'm a I'm a product guy myself, so I'm very very critical of products. So products that delight me uh, are, are usually far and few and far between. Uh, I'm a big Apple fan, um, and I'm really looking forward to the VR headset when it comes out, even though it's hella expensive. The product that I think that I use that regularly delights me is actually self driving. Uh, GM has surprisingly good super cruise. And I know Tesla has been upgrading their auto, their autopilot systems as well. 
it's it's crazy how it can make a really long drive or a commute to San Francisco and back not as not as taxing. Um, and, and a big shout out to self-driving cars uh, becoming better and ca- hopefully causing less accidents and allowing us to live better lives. Yeah, absolutely. God, I feel like a Silicon Valley guy, you know, making the world better through better middleware. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think that's an exciting one. I'm, I am very positive on that over the long term, and, and just can't wait for more of that to be available and just to become really mainstream uh, for both the safety part of it, but also just the ability to uh, not necessarily have to be focused on driving, because I think that that is. Um, like you said, especially on longer commutes or things like that can be great to focus elsewhere. So I think that would be a super exciting one. Actually, the amount of uh, stress that it detracts from your life, like traffic is incredibly stressful. I don't find traffic stressful anymore. I'm like sitting there listening to my audio book, right? Just mitigating that much stress from your life. I think it's a, that's a good thing. That, that alone right there, just taking out the stress of traffic, which is just, it can be really, really terrible sometimes and turning that into something positive. That's, that's a net benefit for the world just in general, aside from all the other things that will come along with it. So I think that's great. Well, Ahmed, this has been again, an amazing conversation. Appreciate all of your time and your insights. This has been, I think, incredibly, incredibly insightful and interesting. And again, we'll put all of those links in the show notes, but thank you for joining us and thank you for sharing uh, so much of, of your story and your experience. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Kyle. I look forward to hearing this podcast once it goes live. Yeah, me too. And hopefully everybody who has been listening has enjoyed it. And we will talk again next time. Thanks again for listening. If you like the show, be sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow the show on TikTok at prodigy.co and on Twitter at Prodigy Co. You can also follow me on both of those platforms at Kyle Larry Evans. If you want more product conversation, check out my newsletter Prodigy at Prodigy.co. You can also follow me on Medium at Kyle Larry Evans or check out my Medium publication Prodigy. Of course, you can check out all these links in the show notes.